Hey, a few weeks ago, we were talking about disciples and how we're called to be disciples who make disciples. And I was sending out a plea for folks to um, just share a little bit of your story, how God is using you to be a disciple who makes disciples. And we want to start shooting some little like one to two minute video clips and just show them during during the uh, services so that people would be encouraged. So we have our first one of those that I want to share with you. Um, It's from Sam Belcher. So here you go. I'm Sam Belcher. Uh, I work here at Summit Helicopters. My wife and I, Lindsay, uh, have been going to Orchard Hills for about a year and a half, um, and we love it. Yeah, so I have uh, breaks every day from 10 uh, to 10.15 and 3 to 3.15. On my best days, I'll use those breaks to read or pray. Uh, And one day I was reading, and the Lord said, not audibly, but in my mind, he said, I want you to start a Bible study. And I was like, Lord, that is a terrible idea. That sounds really scary. And uh, then he said, and I want you to ask these five guys. And he gave me the names of five of the guys here. Um, And so I was like, all right, if you're going to give me names, I guess I actually need to do it. Um, So I went. I was really nervous. um, But I went and I asked the first guy, and his name is Joe, and Joe said yes. Uh, And then that helped me build up some courage. So I went to the next guy, uh, and then the next, and then the next. All five guys said they wanted to be in the Bible study, um, and we're excited. And some of them even said, hey, I've been thinking about this for a couple years, uh, and, and I wanted this to happen. Um, so that was really encouraging. Um, we started in January, the first Thursday of the year. We've gone through the book of Mark, so we met for 16 weeks, uh, and we're now in the book of James. Um, I've taught every single time, which has been so fun and such a gift, um, but now a couple of the other guys want to teach as well. Um, which is even better. So now we're, we're rotating teaching through James. Yeah, so when the Lord first told me to start this Bible study, I was really nervous, and I didn't want to. Um, it was nerve-wracking, but um, ultimately He calls us to faithfulness. So if He's, you know, asking you to share with other people, share. Um, this, it hasn't been always easy. Like, guys have been in and out of the Bible study, um, some guys have only come once. Some guys have come every single week. Um, but it's been an, an incredible journey. Isn't that great? See how simple it is? All we have to do is be open to the Holy Spirit's leading and then just be obedient and he'll take care of the rest. And then we get to enjoy the rewards of that. So thanks, Sam, for, for leading us in that Hey, um, this morning, I, I want to open with a question. Would you raise your hand if you've been convicted of a crime? Oh, that didn't go over well, did it? You know, I'm just, I, I was just joking, actually. I didn't want you to raise your hand. And so, Roy, just put your hand down, Roy. The, uh, but, uh, you, you know, I have never been convicted of a major crime. I, I, when I was in high school, I did get convicted of a traffic violation, but that's about the extent of it, fortunately. But I have been convicted many times by the Holy Spirit, by uh, my own sin. And so this morning, we want to continue to talk about the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives. But this morning, we're specifically going to talk about the role that He has in the world, 
in the world. So to do that, we're going to be in John chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 4 through 11. If you want to follow along, I would encourage you, if you want to use our church Bibles, uh, pick one of those up. It's page 1069, so you can follow along. So John 16, beginning in verse 4. Now this is Jesus speaking. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, or as the NIV says, is condemned. Now, just like last week, the setting's the same. So Jesus is gathered in the upper room with his disciples, and they're having what we call the Last Supper. And he's been teaching them and instructing them because he knows that his time has come and he's about to leave the earth. And so he's sharing this with them. Now, they are overcome with sorrow. They are overcome with grief. But here's the interesting thing. They're not so upset about what is going to happen to Jesus they're really upset about what might happen to them, right? And, and we know what is awaiting Jesus. Jesus is about to be beaten. He's about to be um, whipped within an inch of his life. He's going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to hang on this cross until he is no longer strong enough to lift himself up to get a breath. And then he's eventually going to die of suffocation. All this is awaiting him. And all they can think about is, what about us? What about us? What's going to happen to me? And that's so true of us, isn't it? So often we are less concerned about the suffering of others because all we can focus on is our own potential suffering. Now, Jesus is so full of kindness and love and compassion that he addresses this with them. So that takes care of the first four to six verses here. Now we start to enter into verse 7, and this is where he's bringing um, some encouragement to them and some comfort. Listen to verse 7 again. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, I've touched on this a couple of times already about how much better off we are that Jesus has left, that he has actually left the earth. We are better because of it. See, when Jesus was here in bodily form, he, ha- he was really limited in his, his effectiveness, in, in a sense. Um, his influence was limited because he was in bodily form. He could only be in one place at a time, right? He could only converse, like have a deep conversation with one person at a time. But when he left and then he sent his Holy Spirit, he wasn't defined by time and space any longer. And so now we have this, this blessing of God not just with us, but God in us. And, and Jesus' Spirit could come and be in us, 
millions of people at the same time. And, and so we are really better off. We are better off because Jesus ascended back into heaven, but sent his spirit to be with us. And, and it's a beautiful thing about how God communicates through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this advantage because we have the ever-present Spirit of God, the helper with us, the Holy Spirit. Now, I was thinking of, of maybe an example of, of that, and I couldn't come up with a great one. But I was thinking that it, it's sort of like the difference between when the telegraph was invented and then text messaging today or even teleconferencing today. So think back. So it wasn't until the 1830s that the telegraph was actually invented. And, and it was an amazing thing. It's the first text messaging system that we ever had, right? And so you had these dedicated lines, and they went a great distance. And one person could text, in essence, to another. There'd be those, those little um, electronic pulses that would go. Remember, um, so this was invented by this guy named Samuel Morse. You remember Morse code? So that's what was happening. And so these text messages were happening, and they would write down the message. So two people could be very far away from one another, but they could have a conversation, so to speak. Well, you fast forward to our day and time. We all text, don't we? We have text messaging capabilities. Now there's no wires. We can do it without wires, and we can even do it in a group. We can do it and expand all kinds of territories. We can go beyond oceans. We can connect with multiple people around the world at the same time. And not only do we have that text capacity, but we can even teleconference now, right? Like we can see each other in the midst of it. We can connect in a powerful new way. And we have a way of um, sort of patting ourselves on the back, right? We think we're pretty sharp. You know, look at, look at our, our advances. Look how smart we are. And I'm thinking, you know, just go back in a little bit of time and, and look what God had done I mean, if you go all the way back in time to the beginning of time as we know it, he was already communicating in supernatural ways with us. He didn't need a telegraph. You know, he didn't need text messaging or any of that. He was using his Holy Spirit back then. And then when Jesus left, he stepped it up a notch. Now we have, have the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we are truly a follower of Jesus, we have God's presence in each and every one of us. Like he's constantly communicating to us. What an incredible gift we have in the Holy Spirit. So um, maybe we should just be a little more humble. You know, sometimes I think we, we kind of look down on God. We want God to answer our questions, and, and we are so far behind him technologically, it, it's crazy. So let's be a little more humble. Now, I also want to look at, at the role the Holy Spirit plays, not just in our lives, if you're a follower of Jesus, but also in, in the lives of the world, the lives of the world. Look at verse 8 with me again. This was Jesus speaking again. He said, and when he comes, so he's referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin and righteousness and judgment. And then the NIV says, um, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. He will prove the world to be in the wrong. Now, first of all, the Holy Spirit's already come. See, we are the beneficiaries of the Holy Spirit coming to earth. The disciples at that moment were still waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. He has come. And now, um, one of the great things about the Holy Spirit's presence in the world is we don't have to convict the world of sin. That's not our job. We don't have to convince people that they are 
living sinful lives. We don't have to convict the world about what is right, in other words, righteous, and we don't have to convict the world of judgment. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And so we are freed up. We are freed up. We don't have to engage in in really sometimes hostile or heated arguments or debates. We can just leave that to the Holy Spirit. That's his role. It's his job to bring conviction upon other people, upon us. That's not our role. So we need to let that go. We need to allow him to take that on. He will convict the world. Now, what's he going to convict of? Look at verses 9 through 11. About sin, because people do not believe in me. Again, people do not believe in Jesus. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time just examining each of these three, uh, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as I was preparing, I was reading this Enduring Word Bible commentary, and they had this like three-pronged statement that I thought was really um, pretty insightful and helpful, and I adapted it just to make it a little bit better. Um, So I wasn't even going to give them credit, you know, but... I will, but here's, here's what it, it pretty much sounds like here. So again, sin, righteousness, and judgment. See how, how they all go together. First, sin is the truth about man. Sin is the truth about man. Second, righteousness is the truth about God. And third, judgment is the rightful conclusion when sin and righteousness collide. Listen to that again. Sin is the truth about man. Righteousness is the truth about God. And judgment is the rightful conclusion when sin and righteousness collide. So let's think about those. Um, I want to break them apart, but really you you can't do that um, completely. They all work sort of hand-in-hand with one another. But let's begin again with verse 9. It says, About sin, because people do not believe in me. Because people do not believe in me. You know, I've talked before about what I call the little s sins. They tend to be the ones that we often focus on, like don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Usually um, morality-based, we we get um, focused on, on sins of sexuality, sins of the sanctity of life. That's what we tend to talk about when we refer to sin, and, and we should. Those are serious um, issues. I think we need to talk about them even more because there's a lot of confusion surrounding a lot of them. But really, they are just symptomatic. They are just sort of offshoots, if you will, of what I call the big S sin. The big S sin. And the big S sin here is not believing in Jesus. That is at the crux of it all. Everything else comes forth from that. So think about this. This is what Jesus was talking about and how the Holy Spirit's going to convict us of sin. And what is he going to convict us of? The fact that we don't believe in Jesus. Now... The truth of the matter is most people in the world believe Jesus exists or existed. So if you look at the major world religions, they all acknowledge Jesus' existence, right? 
The Muslims believe in Jesus. They believe he existed. The, the Buddhists, the Hindus, like they all believe that the Jews believe Jesus existed. They just don't believe in Jesus. And here's what I mean. To believe in Jesus is more than just an intellectual acknowledgement that he existed. To truly believe in Jesus means that you have to believe that he was who he said he was, that he is who the Bible says he is, that he was God with us, God in the flesh, that he lived the perfect sinless life, that he died on the cross in our place to pay a penalty that we could not pay, that he died, but then on the third day he rose again, and he conquered the power of death. He took away the sting of death. And then, after some time, you know, 40 days, he ascended back into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. And then, 10 days later, he sent his spirit to live within all who are his true followers, to live within all who truly believe in Jesus. And, and here's the thing. So again, it's not enough just to believe these things. The evidence of that belief in Jesus is a changed life. It's a life of obedience coupled with repentance because we all mess up, right? We all mess up. And so we repent and we get back on the obedience train. So the evidence of somebody's life who believes in Jesus is one of repentance and obedience. And so that's what we see. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And he brings that about. Um, he opens our minds to the person of Jesus. He's the one that convicts us of sin and, and helps us to, to recognize, just as Isaiah said, that we're all like sheep. We've all gone astray. Or like the Apostle Paul said, he said, you know, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of that sin. That is true of us. We've all been guilty of that. So, sin is the truth about man. All of us are in the same boat. Now, righteousness is the truth about God. Look at verse 10 with me again. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Now, Sutton, a couple of weeks ago, talked about um, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is, is to bear witness to Jesus, and that's what he does. And Sutton was in Acts chapter 1 showing that to us. But Jesus actually mentions this very thing. If you back up a few verses in, in John chapter 15, verse 26, he specifically states how the Holy Spirit bears witness to him. And so how does he do that? How does he bear witness to righteousness? Well, he reveals to us that we are not righteous, that um, believe it or not, contrary to popular belief, God's not overly impressed with all of our good works, all right? He, he doesn't look and go, what a good person you are. Oh, my goodness. Like, you deserve all the blessings. You, you, know, you deserve everything. I don't think he's terribly impressed by our good works. And uh, yet... We tend to be pretty impressed with ourselves, don't we? And so he, he reveals to us that, that we're really not righteous, even though we may look and fool some people. Some people may look upon us and go, wow, what a righteous person you are. <laughs> like, oh, no. Like, you don't know what I was just thinking, right? <laughs> like, 
that's part of the problem. And, and so he convicts us of, of our lack of righteousness, but he convinces us and he witnesses to the fact that Jesus is righteous, that he's the only one that is righteous, that he's fulfilled all that was required of him in the Bible. And now he's returned to the Father where we don't see him now, but we can experience him through the power of his Holy Spirit. So he does that. The truth of God. Righteousness is the truth of God. So if we have the truth of of man over here, that's sin, and we have the truth of God over here, that's righteousness. When the two collide, and they do, and they do, what is, what is the right conclusion? It's judgment. It's judgment. Now listen to verse 11. It said, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The prince of this world now stands condemned. God's judgment begins with the prince of this world. Who is he referring to? Who is the prince of this world? That's right. It's Satan. Satan is the prince of this world. And judgment begins with him, and he stands condemned. Now, here's the interesting thing. So, um, really, Satan's greatest weapons have always been death and the fear of death. That's his greatest weapon or weapons, death and the fear of death. And he thought he had defeated God when Jesus was put to death on the cross. And yet this apparent victory was actually his greatest defeat. This apparent victory was his greatest defeat because he had played right into God's hands. This was all part of God's plan. And Satan thought he was defeating God, but he wasn't. Because once Jesus died, what happened? He rose again, and he defeated Satan in that moment. He defeated death. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you now have his spirit living within you, you no longer need to fear death. You don't need to fear death. That is not something you need to fear. And imagine living a life where there's no fear of death. And you can really live now, can't you? Because you have no ultimate fear. Satan was defeated, and Jesus promised that he would right all the wrongs because one day he's going to return to earth. And it's at that point that Satan will experience ultimate condemnation and be exiled to hell. Now, um, I I, want to borrow a quote that describes what's going on here from maybe one of, certainly one of the top five movies of all times, A Knight's Tale. Everybody familiar with A Knight's Tale? Come on, people. Like, it's one of the best movies of all time. If you have not watched A Knight's Tale, like, it's one, I don't even watch movies twice. I watch this movie all the time. It is a great movie. So go watch A Knight's Tale. And they got this incredible quote in there. And guess where they got the quote? From the Bible. They actually stole this quote from the Bible. Who thought? But it's from Daniel chapter 5. And this is what they said. And this is how I'm going to refer to Satan. It said, Satan has been weighed, he has been measured, and he has been found wanting. Satan has been weighed, he has been measured, and he has been found wanting. That's the truth about Satan. That's the judgment that he faced and will face again when Jesus comes. And we too will face judgment at some point. we will all have to come before the judgment seat of God, and we will have to answer for every, every word that we've said and every action that we have performed, even every thought that has crossed our mind. 
and we're going to be held accountable. And um, based on our response, we'll either hear words that come from Jesus that say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into the joy of your master. Or we're going to hear, I never knew you. Away from me. Those are the two responses that we will hear. Now, here's maybe my greatest fear. So I've, I've thought about that. I don't know. Have you guys ever think about what it's going to be like be, before the judgment seat of God? What would you say? What would you do? And here's my fear. I'm afraid, like, I'm going to be standing before God, and he's going to say, all right, I want you to give an account of your life, and I'm going to start arguing my case, right, At, like with God. Like, I'm going to try and prove to him that I am worthy of heaven and, and hanging out with him forever, right? And I'm like, oh, no, like, that is the biggest mistake, but that's what, what I tend to do. And, and uh, my fear is that, that I'm going to do that, but hopefully, this is my hope, like, I'm going to look at, at, at God and, and, and Jesus right there on the, on the right-hand side, and, and I'm going to see him, like, roll their eyes, like, here he goes again. And, and I'm going to be like, oh, that's my cue. Yeah, I'll just fall on my knees, right? And I'll just go, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I would just say, you know what, God, I am guilty. I am guilty. Like, I am guilty of all this sin. And I hope in that moment that I'm going to remember just, and just point to Jesus and go, but I'm with him. All right? Like, I'm guilty but I'm with him. And then Jesus says, get up. Come on. You know, enter into my joy. We got a lot to talk about. We got a lot of hanging out to do. Like that, I think, is the ultimate response to judgment. That's the hope that we have, right? Think about the role of the Holy Spirit. Again, look at verse 8. The Holy Spirit has a role in the world. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I'll be honest with you. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit came into my life when I was 22 years old and convicted me of sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm so thankful because up to that point in time, I didn't know Jesus personally. I didn't know God's word. I did not know this. I had never read it, studied it, any of that. Um, I didn't even know really why I believed what I believed. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, and he came and he opened up my mind so that I could now see Jesus for who he truly was. And then he opened up my mind so I could start to understand his word, and, and I just had an insatiable appetite for his word. And I would just read it and read it and read it because I just wanted to learn all that God had to say. And he began to, to change me and, and he opened up my heart so that I could receive Jesus into my life, um, not just as my savior because he had convicted me of righteousness and that I wasn't righteous, but as my Lord, that he would be the Lord of my life. He would be the the good, benevolent master who would lead me. And, and I'm so thankful that my life has never been the same since then. You know, I now have a, a new standard to live by. And this is it. This is it. 
And I'm so thankful for it, especially when you look at the times that we live in, and there's just such ever-increasing moral decay in our society and in our culture. You know, this is my anchor. Like, this is my plumb line. This is what I base my beliefs on. And I'm so thankful for that. I feel like I have a solid rock to stand upon. Here's another thing that encourages me. Like, when somebody disagrees with me and my beliefs, like, I don't have to get defensive. I'm just like, you know what? Your issue is really with God, so here you go. Like, take it up with him. You know, you can start. I'll show you why I believe what I believe, and it's, it's, it's based right in here, right? And I want to respond like Sam did, right? We don't need to get defensive. We can just say, hey, your issue is not with me, but w- would you like to study God's word together? Because I'd love to do that. Like, I'm always learning Every time I open up God's word, I'm learning something new or something fresh in here. You want to study it together? Like, do you, do you want to know the truth? If you do, man, I would love to get into this with you. And so it frees us up. I, I got to tell you, so I've been around a while now. And uh, the older I get, the more convinced I am and, and just encouraged by the fact that this stuff is true. Like, God's word is valid. It is right. It is not old. See, people are are talking about progressiveness, that we're called to be progressive. Well, they're really being regressive. If you look at all these progressive points of view, they happened thousands of years ago. Go back to Greece. Go back to Rome. Everything that we call new and progressive is really regressive. You can learn about that from history or just read it right in here. Everything we need to live a righteous life is found right in here. And so I'm encouraged by the role of the Holy Spirit and the way he convicts me on an ongoing basis and hopefully the way he convicts you too. Conviction is a good thing because it can lead to a change, a change in our lives. And so um, now all I have to really focus on is being a disciple who makes disciples. That's really the summation of of my purpose in life. And it's the summation of your purpose in life as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, your job is to be a disciple, someone who lives, loves, and leads like Jesus, and help others to do the same, just like Sam was doing in that video. And it's really not all that hard, is it? That's the role of the Holy Spirit. We just have to obey and follow. So let me ask you this. Because we'll all stand before the judgment, of, judgment seat of God. And ultimately, we will kneel before the judgment seat of God. How will you respond? How will you respond? Will you try to point out all your righteous acts, hoping that your good works will earn you his approval, earn you salvation, eternal life in heaven with him? Will you be looking for your own righteousness or will you simply point to Jesus and really count on his righteousness? How will you respond? And then what will you hear? What do you think the words you will hear from Jesus? Will they be, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into the joy of your master. Or will it be, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me. 
I hope we all remember just to point to him. You know what? I'm guilty, but I'm with him. I'm with him. And then he waves, come on, with a big smile on his face, come on. Like we got a lot to catch up on. We got a lot of life to live, come on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that even when you're in, in the business of convicting, it's with a greater purpose. It, it's not for hopelessness like Satan is going to experience. It, it's for hope like I hope we experience if we will just turn to you, Lord Jesus, and, and truly believe in you, which would be demonstrated through our own faithfulness, that would be demonstrated through repentance when we mess up and obedience as we continue to just be disciples who make disciples. We thank you so much for um, your love, for the way that you care for the world. Holy Spirit, you, you said you, you came to convict the world. Jesus, you said you're sending your spirit to convict the world. And you had just a, a great purpose in mind. You wanted to come and save the world. Lord, help us to do our part to be your hands and feet in this process. Thank you for the way that you love us. We pray it all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.